Welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 65, Knock Knock, from 2015. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, host of the Now and Again podcast right here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, Chris Mattiello. Hello, Chris. Uh... (laughs) Appropriate. Yeah, so this is a movie that neither Chris nor Mike had seen before. I watched a couple years ago, so I knew exactly what we were in for. But before we talk about Knock Knock, and before Chris goes on a 45-minute rant about Eli Roth, we skipped another documentary before we watched this. We skipped 21 Years, which is about Richard Linklater. And this, I think, along with Side by Side, when we skipped that one and Mike reviewed it, I think this is probably the other main documentary we skipped that's worth seeing. Right, Mike? Yeah, I'd say so. This is basically a documentary about Richard Linklater's career. And Keanu, having been in Scanner Darkly, is is a minor part of the documentary. But on a whole, it's really well produced and very in-depth. And everybody who's like ever been in one of his movies is in it. So there's like lots of star power to look at and to listen to. You know, for, for like a documentary about a guy who's like still alive and working, <laughs> maybe you wouldn't expect something about his life to be that in-depth once you're sort of reflecting upon it. But I was kind of surprised to learn a thing or two that I wasn't aware of about Linkletter. I'm not like a major, major fan of, of his work, but I really like him as a guy. I think, you know, he's a really cool dude. He comes across really well on this documentary. Uh, and the parts with Keanu are, are very, uh, like, loose and uh, definitely get a sense more of, like, Keanu sort of, like, unplugged, you know, like, with his guard down, talking about a friend of his as opposed to, like, someone trying to, you know, hawk a movie, you know, to a stranger or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I would recommend this, even if Linkletter's sort of not your guy, uh, you might walk away from this checking out an extra film of his after watching it. And he directed Keanu on A Scanner Darkly, right? That was the Linklater movie that we did, yep, so. But he also did, you know, if you're not familiar with the name, he did Boyhood, he did the Before Trilogy, he did Days and Confused, he did Everybody Wants Some. He's done a lot of really good movies. He's from Austin. His interview on Mark Maron's podcast is really, really good. So he's a really cool guy. I didn't watch this documentary, but it's one along with Side by Side that at some point I do want to go back and check out just because in terms of the reviews, in terms of what people are saying about online, they're not like obscure, random documentaries that Keanu's barely in. They're like well-made, cool stuff. So glad to hear that it was good. I was just glad to watch something worthwhile as well. <laughs> that was that was also fun too while while sort of scouting these movies. So sure. And then on the flip side of that worthwhile coin, we have knock knock. And so Chris signed up for this movie. This is not our fault that Chris signed up for this. He wanted to watch this. He wanted to hate watch it, right? No one had signed up for it. It was just like this desert sitting and now I understand why. I'm sure no one has actually seen this movie. It made like zero dollars. It made thirty three thousand in the box office. Thank you very much. Okay. So that won't that won't even cover one uh, semester of Eli Roth's children's community college education. I did not realize that Eli Roth is married to Lorenza Izzo, these one of the female stars of this movie. Which female star of this movie? Because if it's the Oh, okay. I was going to say, it would have made a lot of sense if it was the one of the blonde girls who had, like, very thick accents that couldn't understand it. So, okay. Had no business so here's, acting. I, I dug into the history of this because in the last few years, 
Eli Roth made two movies. He made Green Inferno and he made Knock Knock, both of which star Lorenzo Izzo. And I did not realize that they were married. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. They got married in 2014. I then went back and found out that she got a bit part in Hemlock Grove, that Netflix series thing he was like an executive producer of or creator of. So I'm guessing that she met him there. They probably started dating or whatever. They have this whole like production studio. They call it like Chile Wood. Like down in Chile, they have this whole Hollywood setup that's like helms by Eli Roth and his production partners or whatever. Jesus like a real Christ. Jim Jones situation. I guess. Yeah. I imagine it's like the sacrament, like that that uh right. High West movie. I wonder but if just that's also where they make movies instead of being a cult. I wonder if that's also where the movie Aftershock came from. I watched this terrible splatter disaster movie. Yes. He was uh I don't think he had I much think to do he's with it, in but that too. Well he's in it. He plays a character and it takes place, I believe, in South America. It's a piece of shit. Uh, so there's <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Yeah, uh, she, she was in Aftershock, yes. So they must have met on that. Yeah, because that was like a movie that could have been cool then wasn't. So they're starting like a whole sort of revolution down yeah. there. And so <laughs> – And hopefully no they – budget horror that sucks. <laughs> and hopefully they end up like a bunch of the fucking South American dictators do in the end. Dead? Yep. <laughs> the public revolts against them and kind of storms the compound. I mean, you know, I'm not a violent guy, so I guess that one, but I did have to watch Knock Knock. Eli Roth made The Green Inferno – which was in Fantastic Fest, I think, 2012 or 2013, before I started going. And then it ran into a distribution issue and was held for two years. Then he made this movie, and they both came out in 2015. Apparently, I I looked up why Keanu was in this movie, and they shot down in Chile, so that was obviously part of it. But basically, somebody called him and was just like, hey, Eli Roth is making this movie. He asked what it's about. He's like, all right, cool, I'm in. And so, like, that's all it took, and Keanu was in. So, like, I feel like this is not a good this is not a good comparison, you know, not a favorable comparison, but I feel like lately, you know, with Generation Um in this movie, the, like, the, the lesser Keanu movies, when I'm like, why is he in this? It feels sort of, like, caged, like, oh, cool, I'll just go down to Chile and shoot a movie. You're like, oh, cool, like, it sounds like a good script, like, whatever. Like, it just seems like, oh, just a thing I'm gonna do. Like, instead of, like, I, you know, I really want to work with this guy, or I really want, whatever, just, like, Oh, you know, whatever. Okay. Well, we already discussed this on the episode for The Watcher, where we found out via the Wikipedia Tribune that (laughs) someone potentially signed him up for the movie without his knowledge. That's a very unique, interesting case. I think Black Phillip just keeps signing Keanu up for movies without his knowledge. My first thought goes to there must be some really great riding for motorcycles down in Chile. He must have wanted to go to, like, explore maybe the road for a bit. And then the other thing is, like, you hear Eli Roth, and he hasn't been around really for a while making any noise. And it's like, oh, he's making horror? Like, yeah, let me let me make a horror movie with this guy who's sort of got a fan base, for better or worse. And that's sort of a new turn. Keanu hasn't really delved back into horror since, like, The Gift, I guess. So I guess there's a bit of an allure to, like, yeah, I'll, I'll go down and do like this two million dollar how long could this have taken like a week to shoot maybe a few days like it feels really like they just bang this thing out in a weekend so that was another thing that i read that they did a ton of rehearsal because they shot in just a house like that's not a set that's just a house and so they like choreographed everything and then they just shot it like they shot it in like a couple days it's got an airbnb but, like, they did all this like rehearsal week. of like where people go and everything yeah like right yeah like they rented an airbnb yeah. and this does i guess like look there is something deep in here that is worth exploring in much better hands you know and like i could see this being like some kind of play or something you know at some point but to film it and show other people was sort of a torture i don't we deserve. There are a lot of movies that do this exact thing, and some of them even have the social commentary that mo- that this movie thinks it has. And I guess at the end of the episode, I'll I'll go into that. I don't want to do it now. Um, but like, yeah, this has been done better a lot already. 
This is an official remake of Death Game from 1977, and the two of the stars from that movie, Colleen Camp and Sandra Locke, were producers on this movie. So they, you know, I guess gave this movie their blessing. There was an unofficial remake of Death Game in 1980 called Vicious and Nude, which sounds amazing. It's a Spanish erotic thriller, but the description I keep seeing online about this movie is a, quote, toothless remake. Like, there's stuff here that just sort of like, I haven't seen the original Funny Games, but I saw the remake of Funny Games, and that's sort of the same Uh thing. It's like, I like the idea, but it just, it's afraid to like cross that line, which is weird because Eli Roth's whole career has been about crossing that line. Right. It is toothless and naked and dead or whatever you said it was called. Vicious and nude. And the original is death It sounds exactly as grody and grimy and gnarly as this movie wanted to pretend it was this is a fuck thriller with no fuck this is from the 50 shades of gray category of like making something erotic that has no sex in it yeah like sort of that uh josh brolin one where he breaks into the house and they make you keep referencing labor day but i don't think you need you need to see labor day because it's not the movie you think it is (laughs) well i guess at least that's either the second or the third time you've referenced labor day and it's not the movie you think but but okay keep keep going (laughs) Yeah, this is just very low on the totem of home invasion films. And I feel like the more modern they get, the worse they get. And whatever Death Game had going for it with its sort of obscure exploitation, you know, secrecy that only Eli Roth had known about of whatever, like, he must have totally lost something in translation or not understood what made that movie so great. Because it's like, not even knowing that it was a remake, it's just there was nothing about it that felt original at all. I was like, oh, this is like the um, funny game but then it's also sort of trying to be hard candy. Yep, I, guess, I wrote down both point. of those. Yeah, and I mean, those could go well together, but in this, it, that kind of came so out of nowhere for me that the transition and the shift and their motivation and everything is just like so blindsiding to me that I just was not going. I was too much on Keanu's side, I guess, at some, because I was just grasping for something, like an anchor. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to try and hold on tight to whatever Keanu's doing here, <laughs> as bad as it is. It's just barely keeping me afloat. The way that Eli Roth describes this movie is fatal attraction for the social media and age. There's, there's, is... the, there's the bingo. That's the other movie I wrote down was <laughs> fatal attraction. But here's the thing is two things that th- that movie did correctly that this movie didn't even attempt to do. One, make you not like the guy that much. Like Michael Douglas is kind of a shithole in that. This movie spends the first 15 minutes showing you how great of a dad Keanu is. And then like another 20 minutes making it really clear that he's basically... I guess we're going to talk about the sex scene eventually. Of course Quote-unquote sex scene. It's bad and it's terrible. They need to make us like Keanu less and make him feel like in some way this is penance or he's he's earned this when in fact he really hasn't. And secondly... Glenn Close is threatening as fuck in that movie, and these girls, like, their arms, like, I can wrap my hand around their entire arm. They look like they follow the chain smokers on tour. They are not remotely threatening. Yeah, it's weird because you're right. Like, there's, like, 15 minutes of the movie where Keanu is... It starts out... The movie starts out on Father's Day, and he's the perfect husband. He's the perfect father. He's got a great job. He, you know, he had a cool hobby, like, a former job. He's this, like, ultimate guy that you want to be. And and then, like... And then, again, like, you're right. Like, the next 20 minutes before that actual sex scene, he is this guy who's, like, welcoming enough to bring in these two strangers who need help at 1.30 in the morning and, like, dries their clothes and calls them an Uber and all this different stuff. The Gregory's. Um, no, I don't know anyone around here by that name. What's the address? Um, 
I don't, I honestly don't know. My phone got wet and she left hers at her house. The taxi just dropped us here. We've been walking around for like 20 minutes. Yeah, my feet all like dying. Well, if you guys want, you can come in and use my phone. Oh, thanks. All our contacts are on our phones. I, I don't even know my own number by heart. Can you believe it? Maybe Ashley is on Facebook chat. Ah, oh, genius. Um, actually, would you mind if we just use your computer for a sec? We don't want to impose. We'll just get the address and be out of your hair. Yeah. Sure. Come in. The whole movie is banking on you wanting to see this broken man, or this perfect man broken. Like, this movie is for sadists. It's not for people who want a good movie. Like, I want to see this guy with this life that I envy just have it ripped from him. There's no reason why. Like, he doesn't sell a reason why you should want that. But if that's what you want to see, that's what this movie is. It's extremely cynical but it thinks it's saying something. It's in that category, I think, with another movie that I absolutely despise that does that is The Boondock Saints. Like, it thinks it's real fucking clever and that it's earned the tongue in its cheek, but it's actually just really not clever and dumb and cynical. I wrote down that this is funny games when, like, the dumb kid from the frat had a pass on it. Yeah, I mean, this is just super duper obvious, basically. Keanu... The favorite stuff is him as the dad, you know, doing, like, the monster stuff and all that, and him with the we, kids. Because we've talked about recently that, like, he hasn't really been a dad, and we finally get a dad, and then, like, it's gone. Like, it's, it's over. Who's the nephew? Monster! Oh, 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 you can't hide from monster. Monster can smell you. Monster made kids disappear. And? Monster wanna finish what we started. Too late. The kids are awake. Monster sad. I'm sure Monster can wait till Monday. Monster been waiting three weeks. Yeah, but with the kids and my exhibition, I cannot keep everybody happy all the time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Monster doesn't want to start a fight. Okay, I'm sorry, me neither. I promise we'll finish this as soon as I get back. Oh, monster happy. Monster happy. Monster <laughs> Yeah, and you get one little, like, remark from the wife where she's like, you flirted with the flight attendant, and he was like, no, I didn't. And, you know, and that's it. Like, you, there is zero other sort of clue to any kind of Keanu's gonna stray from his wife thing. I, I beg you to remember he does smoke weed when his wife is away. Like, that's like, he gets, you know, he's yeah, a little she's bit into dangerous it. like She's that. like, don't smoke all our weed. She is into it. And so when the girls show up, you're like, okay, maybe he, like, is more than a good Samaritan, but you don't actually believe that he's gonna do anything because he seems, like, so committed to his family. You know, even, even though he's got this deadline and he can't go away with them, I don't know why they are still going away if he can't go with that. like that doesn't make any sense to me like why the family leaves in the first place he just see those those are things that happen like the movie needs to get Keanu alone so the family's just like we're taking off for the weekend and the movie needs the girls to you know seem threatening so it's just like now they're you know psychotic and now they're tying him up it just makes these jumps because it wants to and i don't feel like any of it is really leading to any of that i don't know i was just <laughs> getting too confused everything happens just because it's super convenient like it's 
Father's Day weekend, which is also apparently a holiday weekend, and so all of the neighbors are out of yeah, town that is too. So fucking like dumb. they're basically just alone in this neighborhood, and it's not like smart. Again, like it's this movie's not going to win you over. Either you're going to want to see, like you're going to see like two very attractive girls fuck with Keanu for an hour and a half, or you're not into it. Like it's one way or the other. Like there's no middle ground. It's not like oh that's cool. It's either this is all everything I want to see, which, you know, if you turn your brain off, like, is kind of okay. Or if you want anything more than that, it's not. But I feel like the movie is trying to get you to feel, like, super uncomfortable. I think maybe that's why it telegraphs everything so hard is because you know what's coming and it wants you to be like, oh, isn't that going to be the worst when, like, they won't leave him alone and he asks for, like, the ninth time? And it's just, like, repetitive and boring because I've seen it better in other movies. You know, trespass for Christ's sake. I mean, like, I mean, I know, guess. Shout out to Cage. Like, I think in the realm of home invasion films, like, that pulls off what it's going for better. Well, that's because it actually sets things up a little bit. I would rather rewatch Trust. Even though it doesn't make any sense, like, it's confusing, and, like, we don't know if that home, that, that home maintenance guy who's in on it, who's not, like, they don't have any interest in, like, answering those questions or, like, explaining anything, but at least they're like, oh, this is, like, a con that's been set up as opposed to just random. But then it's also not random that they've been stalking him on Facebook. Facebook. But that's not dived into at all either. Like it's just like, yeah, how oh, we know, know we know him? that you like, we know that you call your kids monster, or that you know, like your kids call you monster. That you're this like great dad who plays with the kids and posts videos online. But that's yeah, it. I, that, I don't know. That's what was driving me crazy the most is how did they know him? Because like if it had just had the one scene, it might have helped so much more. And they were like, one girl might have just been, oh, you don't remember me, and it could have been like, oh, like years ago you did this to like a friend of mine or whatever. This is payback. But no, there's no history at all, and we never find out why he yeah, was Yeah, it needs the hard candy revelation. Like, why is this happening? And I guess maybe that's what Eli Roth in his stupid, idiot, frat boy head is going for here, is that like, oh, it could happen to anyone. It's like the strangers. You don't know why they're going after Liv Tyler. But the difference here is that that's a movie about Liv Tyler trying to survive, and this is a movie about Keanu just getting tortured. And when you can't really root for anyone, and the movie doesn't give you any reason to care, and when the movie is as repeatedly um, dark, and like I, I keep using the word cynical, and I do think this is one of the most cynical movies I've ever seen, so I'll probably keep coming back to that. Like, it just, it doesn't give you a reason to care. And the biggest sin of all, you know, those of you listening to this, you're thinking, oh, an erotic fuck thriller with torture starring Keanu Reeves, made by the guy who did Cabin Fever. Like, if you're thinking I could be into that, the movie's biggest sin is that it is dreadfully boring throughout its entire runtime. Yep. The other thing that, like, makes it really weird and just, like, an unnecessary layer of why is this happening is the fact that like he shoots in Chile just people can't speak English perfectly but that's not for a reason like they're like oh I was born in Cuba like I was I was born in Spain too but like that's it but that's I think that's only in the story because they need to explain why this girl has an accent yeah that that's just another super distracting thing about this it's that confused me it's like I could understand maybe like oh he married his wife okay she's yeah I get it like she's exotic and then but then another girl comes along and it's like uh like i don't feel like the movie's smart enough to get me to think like 
oh, like, here's another blonde girl with right. an accent, but she's the younger, hotter version of what he already has. Because the movie, the movie takes place in America, right? Like, they don't say where it is, but, like, it's, it's basically, like, L.A. No, it's the valley, right? Because there's the opening shot where the, it goes over the Hollywood sign and it sort of zooms in on, like, the valley area there. So, I, you know, it's supposed to take place, like, around where uh, Valley Girl happened. Shout out to We Are Your Friends as well for the valley. Exactly. You know? Best sushi ever. Does this girl look like she eats sushi in the valley? Because it's, it's weird, because there's only, like, eight actors in this movie. There's his family, there's Lewis, who is pretty great, at the end, at least. There's the two girls, and then there's the woman who comes over. And that's it. Like, that's the whole movie. Because they're just in Chile, shooting, and, like, we just need a local actress. Like, I don't know. It's like he made his entire career, which he did, off of this idea, like, bad things could just happen to people, and that's scary. And he's just done that forever? in different settings like oh you know you can just get a flesh-eating virus or you can get tortured by weird sex perverts or you could be in a terrible earthquake and he just keeps doing that and in this situation first off they don't give you a reason to care secondly this movie thinks it's trying to say something but i challenge you what is this actually trying to say if he was a bigger scumbag it could be like a very basic fatal attraction kind of thing like hey don't fuck other women while you're married and have kids but he's basically raped the first time i mean like there was a straight up rape scene in this and i feel like maybe eli roth just wanted to make a male rape scene because so many of the movies that he loved growing up had the women being the victims and i feel like maybe part of this is just him thinking that it's clever to flip the script but like what is what is this movie trying to say Keanu is straight up a victim throughout this entire movie. I don't know. I mean, it's not saying anything, but I don't think it necessarily... Like, I don't think he made it to say something. I think he made it to, like, cast his wife and this other beautiful girl, who, by the way, Ana de Armas, the blonde girl, will be back next week in Keanu Club for Exposed in a very different role, where she's basically the same age, obviously, but she's, like, a young mother, I think. And, like, it's it's a complete 180 from this. Like, here she's, like, this young, you know, sex pot vixen, whatever, and next week it's like she could not be less sexy if you tried. Like, it's it's a crazy okay, so I, I agree with you that the movie is not actually saying anything, and it's probably a tax shelter or a thing for his wife, yes. But based on the last 10 minutes of this movie, and, I mean, most of it, the, the whole package, but especially that, this movie thinks it's doing a funny games thing. It like, the tonally, this movie thinks it's so fucking clever and it is dumb as a bag of wet mice. Well, I'll tell you what I wish it was saying, if that counts. Is that <laughs> help, maybe? Where I would have probably taken this and where it could have gone easily with a few tweaks is that Keanu's like got this deadline and he's stressing out over it because he's not a great architect and his wife's this really great artist that she could just like go away for the weekend and have her shit picked up because she gets it done early. Um, I wish that like he was sort of going crazy and this was all in his head and that, you know, he was trashing the house and thinking that these women were like around him and he was having this torrid affair, you know, in front of all of his wife's stuff and like murders the dude and like, you know, you go American Psycho with it a little bit or something in in that direction. And then like, even if it's not as good or or if it sucks, like at least you're trying to say something with the material that hasn't exactly been done, you know, that way with a home invasion film, right? You you kind of flip it that way. It's like, oh, it wasn't a home invasion film the whole time. It was sort of like a weird fight club thing going on. Yeah. That movie is Secret Window and that movie sucks, but is way better than this. Oh shit. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Do you want to just talk about the good thing? Like, the one good thing in this movie? Do we want to get it out of the way? There is a speech, and I posted it on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cageclub, and on the Twitter, at cageclubpod on Twitter, that Keanu has a cage moment. 
about free pizza. Okay, so <laughs> last week we did John Wick, right? Like, that was the last episode we did. So two John Wick connections, which is crazy. There's number one, he's left alone with a dog, and at the yeah. end of the movie they take the dog. So, like, don't leave Keanu alone with a dog, because nothing good was going to come from that. The second thing is that this is now two weeks in a row where Keanu's bound to a chair and has a crazy monologue. Except in John Wick, it's badass and, like, the coolest moment and, like, this quotable line. And here, it's, like, peak crazy cage shouting about free pizza like you sucked my cock like what did you want me to do like it's amazing you're gonna kill me you're gonna fucking kill me why why because i fucked you you fucked me you fucked me you came to my house you came to me i got you a car i brought you your clothes you took a fucking bubble bath you wanted it you wanted it you came out to me what was I supposed to do? You sucked my cock. You both fucking sucked my cock. It was free pizza. Free fucking pizza. It just shows up at my fucking door. What am I supposed to do? We're flight attendants. Come on, fuck us. No one will know. Come on, fuck us. Oh, two sums, three sums. It doesn't matter. Starfish, husbands. You don't give a fuck. You'll just fuck anything. You'll just fuck anything. Well, you lied to me. I'm trying to help you. I let you in. I was a good guy. I'm a good father. And you just fucking fucked me? What? Now you're going to kill me? You're going to kill me? Why? Why? You just fucked me? What the fuck? Fuck, fuck. This is fucking insane. It's almost worth sitting through the entire movie for. Almost. I said almost. I didn't say it was. I mean, you could clear, you could go watch it on YouTube because right. it's a quick clip. Yeah. But like, I think he's really bad in this movie, honestly. Even in this scene, it doesn't convince me. I think the main thing I've learned from being on Keanu Club, where I've done Point Break, where he is in a very Keanu role, but then we've done Dracula, where he's playing this young... <laughs> what the fuck is he playing that? Young English sort of hero guy doesn't work where uh in the watcher he's playing a serial killer doesn't work where he is in the lake house and is a time traveling romantic partner doesn't work keanu's got a very limited range and even in this movie when he gets his cage moment i don't believe it well i mean it's something that we found throughout his career there's three things he does well he does stoner goofball well which i don't know if he could do anymore like i'm really curious to see because he hasn't done that in so long that if bill and ted 3 ever comes out he'll probably be able to do that well like i want to see that you know what i mean number two is buttoned up Mm -hmm. cop you know speed point break exactly and then number three is just badass action action star that's it like either like yeah man or the matrix or john wick you know gun fu or kung fu so those three things it's really genuinely hard to find any actor current or past that are right. better than him at those three things but you, you go across the board <laughs> to any other kind of role and it's like it's rough it's real real hit or he's miss not a good actor misses. like he's he's got his thing that he can do and it is that youtube video of him practicing for john wick where he's just shooting the shit out of everything he's not acting in that he yeah. learned how to do that thing like when he has to act yeah. it don't work too good yeah, that's the other thing that, like, not only for The Matrix, but for Manatai Chi and, like, all these other movies, he's the kind of guy who's totally willing to put in 12, 18, 24 months of training to make a movie look real. Like, that's yes. 
awesome. It's just that for all these other things where it's like, come down to Chile, you're going to be here for six weeks, we're going to shoot this movie, you know, just going to be like eight of us in the crew, you're going to love it. It doesn't work. Yeah, he's he's just not super versatile. Like, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, I, I agree with everything you said there, that assessment. You know, I never really thought he was, like, a great actor, but I actually, actually thought, like, he could pull off more, like, more subtle stuff. Like, we're getting stuff here, like the father, the dad thing, you know? And that's something we talked about at length, I think, in one episode where we're like, oh, if he had worked up to this... It might have been something he could pull off, but he was never really cast as a dad or, you know, that sort of fatherly figure in anything. I mean, maybe hardball, but that just was like a disaster when it came down to it. So, like, he never really was consistent in those kinds of roles so that when he gets thrown into them like this, it's very jarring. It's very jarring not to see him kicking ass in a movie these days. I just, I wish he would just make movies like that play to his strengths. And so hopefully that's what we'll be getting more of as we move along. Well, that's that's the good thing that I haven't seen the whole truth yet. I mean, I can tell you already that Expose is not great, but his small part in The Neon Demon, his small part in The Bad Batch, all of John Wick 2, you know, these movies that we're going to do either this summer or this fall, whenever they're out on Blu-ray, those are all to his strength. So I'm just hoping that like, he's starting to do that but again like there's there's stuff coming out like siberia and to the bone and stuff that like i don't know what they're about and i just wonder if he's in that cage phase of his career i mean i do feel like he's having more hits than cage right now not like right where we are in currently in keanu club but like the stuff that we're gonna do next like i feel like it's a better success rate than cage if only because he's choosing smaller roles with better directors maybe I wonder if he's in that cage phase of his career where he's just doing movies that are effectively VOD, like straight to VOD, as opposed to, the, I, uh, I don't know. His Neon Demon role reminds me a lot of The Gift. Like, he just, he plays a pretty decent scumbag, uh, but, like, it's not, he's just, he's just a guy. Uh, it's it's not a huge stretch of a role. But it, it works. It, like, I mean, we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks with Jordan when she comes back for that. I feel like if if he was in this movie as, like, the Lewis role, that could have been cool. You know what I mean? As the side, not sidekick, but like the, you know, his wife's assistant or whatever. But the fact that he's this lead and there's only three on screen and, you know, I think Lorenzo Izzo, the brunette, is a pretty decent actress. Ana de Armas is not good at all. So like there's nothing for him to play off of, you know? So it's it, it makes it even more difficult when it's just the three of them and it's him against two and it's basically three quarters of a good actress and like, not, and just a pretty face. Like it just, yeah. I, uh, yeah. it's tough. I w- I was having flashbacks to Generation Um at some point in this because it's basically the same setup where he's just there with two girls in a room for, you know, literally <laughs> like I, an hour of the of the movie. I um, would watch this movie ten times wow, before that's, I watch Generation Um again. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean even just, just, just on a just on a production level, it's much more competent as just in the way films are supposed to play and out. And it looks really pretty uh. too. Well, I mean, sure. like, yeah, it looks yeah. fine. I don't feel like Keanu is just made to sort of be like a play actor. And what this feels more like, you need someone who has a lot of stamina who could sort of spout off like a five-page monologue in a one-shot, one-take shot, if necessary. Keanu's strapped to a chair screaming about pizza or like buried up to his head. Like it just kind of comes off as goofy and wacky as opposed to dramatic or any other kind of emotion that's supposed to come in mind. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, I'm I imagine people listening to this I just don't know what the fuck we watched. Uh, in short, in like 30 seconds, Keanu plays a dad who's home alone because his family went away, and then sexy Harry and Marv come, and the wet bandits fuck him in the shower, <laughs> and then they 
torture him for a while, and then they bury him up to his neck and trash the house and put the video online, and that's the end. Like, that's if you, if you think that sounds interesting, yep. go watch this. You're wrong, but go watch this. It's a terrible movie. It's torture porn that thinks it's got the porn above the torture for a hundred minutes, and it's horribly boring. And Eli Roth's idea of a sex scene is people pressing their boobs against like a glass window. He's so much more <laughs> softcore than I was expecting. I was like, come on, Eli Roth, like where is the murder fest at the end of this? Where's the buckets of blood? You know, look, like he is all about, right. you know, like grindhouse films and, and you know, that when it comes to horror, I always imagine the dirtier the better when it comes to the more obscure, you know, Italian zombie flicks with crazy gore and things. So like when it came to this, I couldn't believe it's basically like a PG-13 Eli Roth movie. There isn't anybody losing any limbs. I thought for sure Keanu would, you know, fight back and kill off one or one of them or something would happen that would be way more extreme. But it's not. They, like, draw cocks on the wall. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> yeah. Mike, did you watch the deleted scenes? No, I've had enough. Okay. It's like a three-minute extended oh, no, destruction you. scene, which they put some of it in the movie, but I watched both because it's, it's five minutes for the two scenes and I watched it again with Eli Roth's commentary. And the destruction scene is like them actually going around and drawing on all the posters and putting the dicks on things and saying like, my daddy is a pedophile, pedo bear approves, I love cum, like cum monster, like all this like, but it's them actually going around and drawing it all. And then one of the things I really did love, there's an extended version in the deleted scene, is the two of them acting like Godzilla stomping on his architect, like his little designs, which I really loved. But it's all this, like at the end of the movie, when they leave and you sort of see the camera go to the door as the family comes in, you sort of see the aftermath of their destruction, but the scene showed everything. And Eli Roth was saying that they cut it out because like and this is this is this is amazing that he takes this as like a man I, I'm sorry that we had to cut this out but it made the movie work better he's like leaving it in made the rest of the movie lame <laughs> by comparison like the, like from here on out basically like you know it was too exciting and then like as soon as it stopped there was no excitement left and I was just like well I don't know Eli fix Roth that is the dumbest motherfucker and I had so I had an idea I did know that you had this on as a physical copy but I didn't think of it this movie just seemed to me like one of those movies where the director's commentary was just the director and he was constantly having these passive aggressive swipes at the studio for ruining his vision is that accurate i didn't watch oh. the I didn't, I didn't listen to the commentary for the full thing mm because I'm not going to watch this again. I mean, I could. I do want to hear him talk about it because, like, I like him as a person, sort of. I mean, Mike and I have talked about it a couple times that, like, we That's love him fair, in Inglorious Bastards. I, well, I like him as an actor, I'd say. He's I like. I also actor. like him in... There's interviews that he's done. You know, a while ago, he was doing a lot of stuff with Quentin. They were just doing interviews together. And, like, just to see, like, these two guys who genuinely love trashy, bad, grindhousey movies, I loved watching them talk about that kind of stuff. So I like him. I just never liked any movie he's done. Yeah. I actually agree there. I don't like any of his films but I find him to be pretty fascinating to a degree like he the dude is a film almanac you know along the lines of like Quentin or Edgar Wright or someone like he just whips out knowledge about shit that is just interesting and fascinating like just no way around it sometimes but I can understand how (laughs) he definitely could rub people the wrong way like he's got like a very sort of arrogant kind of attitude and stuff and almost in the way that you don't like he doesn't sort of like realize it maybe but I, I do not really enjoy his movies like I just don't 
understand why he's regarded as such like a uh, visionary when it comes to the genre. Well, he ripped off Audition. Well, he he brought it mainstream, but like Hostel led to Saw, which was, you know, one of the biggest horror franchises of all time, which led to all that stuff. Like he made it a thing that was okay for Hollywood to do. Like, I don't like Hostel, but yeah. Which is strange that that is like his sort of legacy is like, oh, I made torture cool. Like, you know, like that is kind of odd. And I never really, I never made it past Saw 2, so I can't really speak. One of them, either three or four is really cool because it's the same, I don't know, but like, yeah, it's it just one and then whatever, three or four. But yeah. He's the just whole, in like, that, that whole mold, genre, uh, again, no with Tarantino of guys who saw a bunch of foreign films during the time before the internet where they traded a bunch of tapes, whereas Tarantino saw a bunch of Grindhouse stuff and a lot of Kung Fu. Uh, Eli Roth just at some point saw Audition and was like, I bet I can do this shittier and American. And he was right. That's all that was. And he's been riding off that forever. Also, yeah. His role in Inglorious Bastards, Tarantino wanted Adam Sandler to do that role initially, which A, better movie, B, oh, Eli Roth wow. is the Adam Sandler of horror. So good coincidence there. <laughs> I think that's apt. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, going back to the commentary, like it's not, it's not, it's not something to listen to to like hate listen. Like it's not, he doesn't come off like taking petty shots at the studio or anything. It's just, oh, this was really cool. Like this was 4.30 in the morning. The girls went wild. We wish we could have like kept this in the movie because they had such fun. It just didn't work. Listening to Eli Roth is fine. Like I, I agree with you. I've listened to him talk about horror, but I've also listened to Rob Zombie talk about horror. Being able to talk about it does not translate into being able to make a movie as we have seen. Which is crazy. I would. I find Rob Zombie's work to be way more enticing than than anything. Oh yeah, has done. Like even even when he fails, it's interesting. Halloween Two is a fascinating failure, but it is at least not boring. Lords of Salem, even I couldn't believe like I got into that movie. I, I love did. Lords of Salem. Yeah, actually, I do like Lords of Salem quite a bit. The second deleted scene is that alternate ending. That it was one of the first things they shot. So Mike, you you don't know what this alternate ending is. No. So it's cool. So. He's in a car. It's a shitty, dirty car. So it's clear that, like, his wife has left, you know, this beautiful house he had. Like, he has none of it now, whatever. Oh, it's like we've left the house. Yes. Okay. He's in a car. He has a hearing aid which we know because, you know, they have a static. They were playing the static. He, so he, he went mostly deaf, which he was like, ah, I'm going to go deaf. I'm going to go deaf. <laughs> um, he's on his phone using Pet Tracker to find his dog. And they go to this other gorgeous house in Chile. And you go inside and it's the two girls with wigs of the other one. So Lorenzo Izzo is in a blonde wig and Ana de Armas is in a brunette wig. And they're in each other's clothes. So they like swapped characters. And they're doing it to they're doing the thing to another guy who's bound and gagged and tied up and blindfolded. And there's a knock at the door and they're like, Are you expecting company? And then fade to black. And Eli Roth said that, that was one of the first things they shot. You know, that's his John Wick look. He said this is the John Wick 2 ending. And he said that it's like they tricked Keanu into thinking he was going to do a Keanu Reeves-type movie. Then we cut it. And he said it's just too many ideas. It didn't work, so we got rid of it. See, I think it's better, but it's still weak. Like, that should have happened. If that happened halfway through the movie, you know, like, that would have been awesome, right? Like, so, like, at the hour mark, they leave him and his wife comes home and he gets divorced. And then you pick up with him, like, driving in the car and he tracks them down. Yeah, like and a then death like, situation. Yeah, yeah. And then he, like, gets his yeah. revenge on them. And that's what you do with the last act. Then it is the reverse rape film, the kind of Hills Have Eyes or I Spit on Your Grave that I that I kind of mentioned that I think Eli Roth has seen but doesn't know why they were not so much good but so much, uh, memorable, I guess. I feel like he was trying to do that and just, just failed spectacularly. Because what is crazy is the girls do leave 
halfway through the movie, and then they're back five minutes later. They so leave stupid. long enough for him to clean up, and then they just show up again. They somehow sneak into his house, which, again, how do you, as a person, basically get home invaded, you know, have these people somewhat, you know, rape you even though you're into it, whatever, and then you don't lock your doors and set the alarms? Like, how are you going to let them, just anybody, into your house the next night? Yeah, how don't you call people to come over and stay with you and not be alone or even just leave and go visit and stay with your wife and kids at that point? It's obnoxious. Can we – I don't want to, but I think this is our job. As Chris Podcaster, I feel like we need to discuss – the sex scenes in this movie also as a Keanu Club thing has he done sex scenes in the past oh yeah uh, so he was fully naked in A Scanner Darkly we saw animated Keanu dick oh how's his ding dong uh, it was it was solid for a cartoon on a scale of one to Kevin Bacon uh, on a scale of one to Kevin Bacon I, I'd say it's probably pretty close to Kevin Bacon Wow, good for Keanu. I mean, at least animated, they he's well hung, so <laughs> they did him a favor. Oh, a little bit of CGI. Uh, I nice. mean, Keanu, you know, he gets lots of action in his films. You know, ever since um, Youngbloods, he's, which was real early, we started calling it Seven Tea with Miss McGill. McGill. Yep. Yeah, and I think even in Henry's Crime, when he's in prison, there's a flash of his ass or something. Like, we've seen his bare butt, like, a few we've, times I think we well. maybe see his butt, or we see a lot of skin, at least, in Matrix Reloaded in the Zion sex scene with Trinity. Oh, right. There is also... There's another one I was thinking about. Oh, he's got sex scenes in Devil's Advocate. Oh, yeah. I've seen these. Because I feel like as the years went by, Cage was shirtless less and less because, you know, Cage has never really been, like, out of shape, but he's just sort of got old man body. Here, I mean, Keanu's arguably in better shape than he's been since The Matrix. Like, he's in really good shape. Show it off. The first sex scene is so... This kind of that... that um the, the clean sex scene that we were talking about is just very soft core the bubble bath shower scene the glass fuck off with that what we're not we're making a gritty grimy gross cynical movie just like i don't want to watch that movie that's not for me but if you're gonna make that movie own it don't make this the fucking pg version of that yeah that's what i was saying earlier is like this movie just doesn't have any guts like it's just not being abrasive enough for me like sure maybe it thinks like with its like themes or what it wants to say like oh yeah like that's sharp and biting but it's like no i need to i need like visceral visual horror stuff going on you're eli roth for like a reason you know show them fillet him somewhere or something like cut an ear off actually torture the guy more than just damage his hearing like if he lost an ear that would have been something or if they were just like poking him with like hot pokers or something they were just ugh, it was just so tame it just really bothered me the real torture comes from the second sex scene that is so intense so so edgy and so real that it could have been a mud vein <laughs> video from 2002 <laughs> I guess there's actually three, because there's the bathroom one, then they go to the bed, and he's, like, sort of sandwiched between them. But then, after they're kicked out and come back, then they bound him and gag him to the bed. With his daughter's underwear. So, okay. So, Ana de Armas is not huge, but she's a normal size for, like, a 20, 22-year-old girl. Kiana's daughter is 10, 8, 10, oh, 12. at the oldest, yeah. And yet somehow Ana de Armas fits perfectly. Like, it's not like she's, like, stretching the clothes. Like, if anything, they're, like, barely too small, but, like, they fit her perfectly. And they're like, oh, I'm in your daughter's clothes. And they keep... Like, that's the whole thing. Like, this is, like, it's set on Father's Day. They keep calling him Daddy. It's this whole twisted whatever. And, you know, when they post a video on Facebook at the end, caption is celebrating Father's Day. Like, it's this whole, like, oh, like look at this breakdown of this great dad or whatever but they bound him and she's in her schoolgirl 
outfit, but fully clothed, grinding him, you know, having sex with him, I guess. Like, ugh, why? Because it's so edgy. You have to find out that she was molested by her stepdad or whatever cliched the fuck this movie is going to do. Was that true? Or did you make that up? Did I miss no, that? No, she says that. She's like, oh. daddy, daddy. And then the two girls have a dialogue about how she, when she's fucking him, she only sees the stepdad that would sneak into her room at night. I also, maybe, I don't know if I forgot that or didn't hear that or just sort of assumed that everything they say is a lie. It's so lame and cliche that, like, it just turns into nothing, just like the rest of this movie. It just funnels into you and comes right back out, not even mildly purified, because it just had nothing going in. It's just, this is film water. It's nothing. I almost wondered at one point if they got the wrong house, which would have been a hilarious ending at the end, if they were like, oh shit, we're, like, we're off by, like, one number. Because at one point towards the end, when Keanu's tied up, they're, like, destroying things, or they're running around the house, and they're yelling at him, and and they're like, oh man, it's so, it's just so embarrassing to watch and hear at one point. But one time, at one of the girls is like, the 1%, you're going down. And I'm like, Keanu is not the 1%. Like, if that's what they're raging against, I think they got the wrong guy because they're artists. Like, they're not bankers. They're not, you know, attorneys or, you know, like, they don't seem like uber rich. They're just sick. They're, they're successful, but they're not. Yeah. Yeah, they're successful and they're just family people and they're just like trying to get by. It seems like I don't, I mean, maybe if he was a banker, that would have been more relevant perhaps, but like that just, I just, that, it was just another moment where I just like threw my arms up going like, you're so off the mark with this. Like you're just throwing everything you can imagine at the wall and whoever hears what they want to hear will pick that up and then be like, oh, that's, that's what it's about. It's about the 1% because that's what sticks out in my mind because she said it and it's just not right. I don't like it. Well, that's the thing. Like, we don't know what they're railing against. It seems like they're just going against, like, the concept of a perfect family. I feel like this is also, like, and it's not laid out well at all in this movie, but it could be something that's, like, Eli Roth is railing against the Facebook persona that a lot of people put out about, like, look how perfect my family is. Like, look at my beautiful wife and my beautiful kids and look how well we all get along. And even though we sort of get a little bit at the top, not nearly as much as we talked about, about flirting with a flight attendant or flirting with girls at the batting cage, which the wife calls a bat cage. Mr. Weber, how are you, sir? Morning, Lewis. I'd offer you a hand, but all I can lift is this coffee. Oh, that's what happens when you try to impress girls in the bat cage, that I have to turn these subtitles on. I'm like, why is this woman, like, again, why is she cast with an accent that I can't even understand what she's saying? It feels like, possibly, and I'm giving the movie way too much credit, that it's railing against this concept of a perfect family, even though on the inside, it's sort of cracking a little bit. I think Batcage was his character in Kick-Ass, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, why not? (laughs) This movie sucks. This movie's so bad. What's also kind of amazing in a poor writing way is that when Lewis shows up and, you know, they bound Keanu and put him in the back office and whatever, they're like, don't talk. And he is talking to girls and the girls are like, oh, we're shooting a music video. He's my uncle. And they like say a couple things and he's like, bitch, you're barking up the wrong fucking tree. I'm from Oakland, ho. I know two ghetto ass hoes when I see them. And it's, I, I thought, okay, I thought that was funny only because it was life in a movie that hadn't really had life. Somebody touch us? We didn't touch it. It's Aunt Karen's stuff. We wouldn't go near it. I did see Evan in here earlier. Maybe he did. Okay, because it's, it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be bubble wrapped and packed up and ready to go. Why, why would Evan do this? She said he wasn't us. Okay. 
fuck did y'all do? Fuck is this shit? We didn't want to tell you. Someone broke in, and that's why Evan's out. He was chasing them. Yeah. Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up, both of you, right now! Nobody fucking move! I'm calling the cops right now. Please, don't tell Karen. This could be our little secret. Bitch, you barking up the wrong fucking tree. I'm from Oakland, ho! I know two ghetto assholes when I see them. Come to think of it, Evan doesn't even have any fucking nieces. Who the fuck are you? What's more important, quote-unquote important about that, is that this guy who's been on screen now, excluding his earlier time, this most recent time, for a minute, is able to see through these two girls, whereas Keanu couldn't see through them in the 45 minutes before they seduced him. You know what I mean? It's just like, how dumb is our main character? Maybe that guy was not attracted to women, so he could, like, see through their tricks and pass their beauty, whereas Keanu is just sort of, like, dumbfounded. I know the movie has to happen and everything, but I was just like, I wish it was a little more effort on their behalf to get in. Like, if they were turned away and then broken, and then it became more of, like, an actual home invasion thing as opposed to, like, they let him in, then, hmm, maybe it would have been more interesting. But you're absolutely right. Like, that guy shines because up until that point, like, it's very boring and slow, and then he shows up, and he starts jumping up and down, and then he gets killed right away, and it's like, oh, shit, now we're, like, back to this crap. And there's also the woman, Vivian, who is not, like, her scene is not good, but I did write that one line that I liked of hers, where she says, I'm here to heal, but this is really upsetting. Like, when he answers the door, and then Lorenzo Izzo comes outside and, like, puts her arm around him, and just, like, basically, like, hey, come back to bed so we can keep having more sex, or whatever the vibe she's giving off is. Just, you know, this Christian massage woman, or whatever, is just so offended by Lorenzo Izzo's presence. I thought that was kind of funny, but, like, not laugh out loud funny, not, you know, not give this movie credit funny. So, like, another thing that was totally unnecessary was is that the movie starts and Keanu has an injured arm and he well, I guess like that masseuse is there for his physical yes. therapy yes. or something. Like, mm-hmm. Why is that in the movie? Well, that's in the movie because that's how they overpower him. That when oh he God. punches and the, the arm worst, is off, though. when they come back in and they're filming the schoolgirl rape scene, whatever, and he punches Anna the Armist off him, and Lorenzo Izzo had gone away to eat pie or something to get a snack from the kitchen, and so she's eating in the hallway and like he chokes her, but then she stabs him in exactly the right spot, which I guess all also might be like, hey, she found it on Facebook. But maybe give a two-minute scene. Like, maybe start with the girls. Maybe start with them, like, stalking him, and you don't know who they are or what they're doing, but you're looking at him like, oh, you know, like a post like, oh, I hurt my arm, gotta go through rehab or whatever, or like a video of him playing with the kids or something. Or, or anything, yeah. Yeah, literally yeah, anything. Literally anything, because, like, I've been, there's maybe one thing where he, like, rolls onto it, and he's like, ah, my arm, and she's like, oh, is your arm okay? And he's like, no, it, like, hurts. And, <laughs> It. Like, can't he be like, I got to go to the doctor later this afternoon because of my rehab or anything or like explain how it happened. But it was just so unnecessary. Like if they needed a way for the girls to overpower him, make them more brutal, like have them, you know, like go misery on him and like crack an ankle, bash his shoulder and like just steal physical. from hostile and slash his Achilles. Right. Like, come on, Eli Roth. You steal from everyone else. Like, just steal from yourself. Just do literally anything <laughs> like just get him get him drunk do a hard candy thing where she's got drugs p.s just just if you're listening to this just watch hard candy that's just a good movie it's a good version of this um, with a pre-juno ellen page and my one of my favorites patrick wilson who always plays a great like put out cuck boy love that guy <laughs> 
you got Kitty Pride and you got Night Owl. Yeah. So. Yes. <laughs> the most offensive thing in this movie, I think, is they end the movie with the Pixies Where Is My Mind. Oh, I was so mad. Which I was now so fucking angry. I mean like Thanks for reminding me. There's certain songs like Fight Club did it. Like you can't use that song in the movie anymore. Like whether or not like you like Fight Club, you hate Fight Club, that song is forever in terms of cinema linked to that scene. Like it's perfect for that scene. I love that movie. Like that's that movie's song. For some reason, I don't know if it was that alright, so I'm gonna admit something to you that I've admitted on a couple of these episodes before is I don't watch these movies entirely lucid. I can't, especially this one. This one was so boring at the beginning, I just kept going. Was it Where's My Mind at the end? Yes. Okay, so then I think what I was thinking, and I thought about it so much and I was so angry that I think I just inceptioned it into being, was I thought Wave of Mutilation, if you're going to do a Pixie song, like that's the one that works. That's the one that fits, that makes sense. So I think I thought that so hard that in my head it just became Wave of Mutilation. No, because, I mean, like, you could put any song there. It's just there's certain songs, like, basically, you can't use that song. If Quentin has saved a song and put it in one of his movies, you can't use that. Whenever there's a song that, like, you think of the song, like, now, you know, Rihanna, like, We Found Love, like, you can't use it because that, that, that belongs to American Honey. You know what I mean? Like, there's certain songs, just don't use them. Yeah, Scorsese, right? Like, the king of that, probably. What frustrates me the most is Roth. He knows better. Like, he knows that. Like, he's friends with Tarantino who has like an edict where it's like if a song was used in a like you just said like you don't reuse songs that have become iconic due to certain scenes in cinema like you just don't do that like hands off and like Eli Roth knows that like what is he doing he's seen Fight Club and he understands the significance of that and everything but it's like no man like this, this it's, it's off limits and you know that also, what makes it even more frustrating is the fact that he's been set up as a DJ, that in the beginning of the movie when he's working, yes. he's listening to Kiss. You know, he even has that quote about DJing. DJing's like mixing a drink. First you find the right ingredients, then you find the blend. And <sighs> being a DJ is not important to him, not important to the movie at least, other than he's got records for them to break and for them to put static on and for him to like sort of impress them with how cool he is, whatever. The fact that that's in the movie should mean that you are even more attentive to the music and the song choices in the movie but it's the opposite yeah they really don't play up the music angle as much as i was expecting for sure like they start going into it right where she's like oh who's this this is beautiful and he names it in it's like some obscure thing you know probably someone someone local that they found right where they're like let's promote them because they're part of the local scene and like put them in my movie because we're down here filming um down here in chile yeah, and it, no, you're right. Like music should have been, you know, a, in in a better filmmaker's hands. Like music would have been important and like keyed in on certain moments. And probably like you could have gotten away with that song at the end of this movie if you had made music important. But it's not. It's just it's just not. And so when this song comes on, it's just inappropriate. Another thing I want to talk about is something that Chris brought up to me online. They have a gun in the movie that never goes off. Just basic fucking screenwriting. <laughs> There's a gun in a vase next to where Keanu is bound to the chair, and he spends, I don't know, five or ten minutes of the movie rocking his chair back and forth to break the vase, and he finally finally breaks it. They break it in front of him. There's the gun inside. They have a thing about most gun fatalities are caused by somebody in the family, and then nothing ever comes of it. That's because they're not murderers. They're just life ruiners, except 
they do murder someone. And that's kind of the thing is like you were talking about that guy showing up and like, actually, I think the movie would have been stronger if that didn't happen. But it feels like Eli Roth just needed a body count. Like this movie is so conflicted. It's like, what are these girls avenging angels? Are they psychos who were molested by their dads and now are trying to murder all weed dads or whatever? We can't get a good feeling of what they are. So we can't get a good feeling of how we are supposed to feel, which is why it sucks. And it's bad. And what Mike is saying, if this movie just went full secret window, actually, it has to either go full funny games, basic instinct, it has to be gory, it has to be fucky, it has to be dirty, or it has to just all be in his head at the end. Like, I love that idea, actually. It's great. But it, this just, it does nothing except say, hey, social networking, am I right? It's like fucking sub-Black Mirror. Well, that's like the other thing is that it could have been interesting when Lewis comes over and slips and because they don't kill him. They steal his inhaler and he slips and falls and hits his head and dies. And it could have been interesting if they were like, oh, fuck, like this went too far. Like we're all about, you know, screwing with a guy and ruining his life. But like we don't want to kill someone like and if the movie goes off on a tangent like that and they pause and they have that face of panic, like what just happened? And then they just start laughing and like it's, everything's OK. So there's no weight to that at all, other than Keanu's infidelity also led to Lewis's death. And just the stuff at the end where you see the the trashed house and there's stuff like, there's like art does not exist and stuff like that. Between that and like the really edgelordy, like my dad molested me, I'm wearing your daughter's clothes and for some reason your daughter has a fucking Halloween adult school girl's outfit. Just all of it. I've said this about Boondock Saints before and it's why I really fucking hate this movie is it feels like a 15 year old wrote a Tarantino movie and this feels also just like an edgy 15 year old probably younger honestly 13 year old wanted to write a movie about sex and violence and dad has been cheating on mom and i really just i wish this would happen to a man it doesn't work in any way it feels so juvenile but i think that's his demographic yeah well you know what <laughs> like fine. people who want to see like their dad tortured well, by no their i mean like, like i mean he's making movies for 13 year old boys like this is the ultimate fantasy. Like two beautiful girls come over your house, and their sole purpose is to fuck you. Yeah, but I mean, he's not into it. Like the. But I, I I know that. But like, if you're making a movie, like, oh my god, like this is the best life. Like he's a cool guy. He's got a cool job. He's got cool toys. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got these two girls that want to have sex. Like, and then you know, once it goes off the rails, then like these boys are like, look how much fun they're having. Like, look at all the discretion they're doing. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, no, I think you guys are right. Like, I think you said it both. Like, it's juvenile. Like, it's completely beneath any kind of stimulating thought like afterwards like there's nothing I, I can't I walked away but like it just feels hollow it just feels like a hollow film to me like I walked away from it going like all right that that was like I, I sat through that and like great never gonna get that time back now again time to go watch a better movie even though the gun didn't pay off there is one thing that I didn't realize while watching the movie until I started looking at my notes that maybe we don't see what actually what happens at the end. We see the family come in and the son says, Daddy had a party, and then the movie ends. But at the beginning of the movie, when they're rolling around in bed, like he's, he's, their marriage is still strong enough that like they're having like passionate roll around in the bed sort of sex, you know, that gets interrupted by the kids. But she's like, I wish he would cut your hair. And then the girls cut his hair for him. So maybe, maybe the fact that he got a haircut is enough to say like, oh, this isn't so bad. <laughs> That'd be funny if she came back and like, yeah, there's no, uh, she's like, oh, he really did just have a party. 
<laughs> and he got away with like everything that ever happened. Oh man, alternate ending, not like alternate ending, but like a, a good third act. It turns out that the wife hired them to murder and they just uh, they just went a little Ooh. too far and she comes back and she's like, hey, hey, did everything go well? And Keanu's just standing over their bodies and, you know, he figured it out. That's what's frustrating because like the movie's not good, but there's 80% of 10 different good movies here. Like it could go in so many different ways that you just twist something, you add something, you change something, you change the ending. It could become really interesting. And just the <laughs> it's like a branching choose your own adventure. And like the one that they choose is just like, Oh, it's boring. <laughs> they just pick they just pick the wrong binary choice every single time and this is the darkest timeline <laughs> knock knock. It's just like when yeah, the book ends after like 3 pages <laughs> yeah. because you've cho- you've chose wrong. Keanu Reeves was eaten by a grew at the end. But we do get I forgot until you just said that we do get the titular line at the end that they tell a knock knock joke and who's there Evan Evan who cheating eventually gets you killed because his name is Evan. So oh, God. fuck you. <laughs> It's like, let's end on a note that makes me never want to watch, like, another Eli Roth or Home Invasion movie ever I love a movie that ends on a punchline. You're going to get to a movie that does that. Spoilers, Neon Demon ends on a fantastic fucking punchline. This is just so limp-dicked throughout the entire movie. It is it is the most toothless sex movie I've ever seen. God damn it. It's, it's, it's just so weak. Yep. Chris, do you have anything else in your notes you want to say yes. about Knock Knock? I would like to read from the book of Ebert. Now, this is not about Knock Knock, but this really encapsulates how I feel about this movie, uh, which makes The Watcher and The Lake House look like Citizen Kane and Casablanca in comparison. This is from the Book of Ebert. I hated this movie. Hated, 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 hated this movie. Hated it. Hated every simpering, stupid, vacant, audience-insulting moment of it. Hated the sensibility that thought anyone would like it. Hated the implied insults to the audience by its belief that anyone would be entertained by it. That is his review of the movie North, but I understand it now. I hated this movie so much. It is not the worst movie I've seen because Eli Roth can competently point a camera and hire people to light the scene, but I hated this movie more than I hated any movie that I can think of in, I mean, a recent memory. The amazing thing is that as I'm ranking these Keanu movies, there are about 10 movies that I would watch <laughs> less That's than That's fucking this. insane, and I don't believe it. <laughs> There's enough in here that I like that I'm probably going to, especially with commentary, like maybe see this again. I just don't think I've sold how boring this movie is, though. We've talked about all this shit. It's really, really it's boring. It's so boring. And it's also, it's poorly acted, and it's just, it's so awkward. Like, oh, you're you're so cool. Like, it's just, oh, man. The scene where she's dressed in, like, the daughter's stuff, like, including the daughter's underwear, that should be so disgusting that you are, like, your skeleton is trying to punch its way out of your skin. But it's not. It's just, like, it's just stupid. It's like, what are we doing here? They also play Who Wants to Be a Pedophile, and that game doesn't go anywhere. Like, that could have been really cool, too, and that's just better than a lot of the other stuff in the movie, but it's still oh, not the great. The fact Keanu Reeves believed that one of them was 15 means he fucking deserved all of this. Oh, boy. Mike, what else do you have to say about this movie? Anything? Um, you know, it's a chore. It's incompetent. Don't like it. Um... anything good I could say about it well I mean I might watch it with commentary but I wouldn't recommend this there's just so many better movies in the genre like literally anything anything. yeah I mean it's just so unnecessary and every time 
it thinks it's landing a punch, it feels like it's pulling a punch. And thinking to myself, you know, at least it's Eli Roth and he's going to get, like, hardcore here and we're going to get gory and stuff and it's going to be, like, violent. But, like, that never even happened. So, like, it's weird that I was anticipating all of that stuff I don't like, like the Saw-type stuff and the hostile stuff, and then it's not even here and that's why I'm disappointed. Man, yeah, I don't feel good, like, trashing a movie for an hour, but, I, oh, man, it, it was it's hard not to when it comes down to this. Most of all, I just don't understand their motivation, like, why they targeted Keanu specifically. The randomness of it doesn't even feel thematic to any degree. It all just sort of seemed unnecessary to me. Yeah, that's pretty much, that pretty, pretty much sums it up. Chris will be back later this year for Replicas. If it comes out this year, I'm not sure when exactly it's coming out, but it's a sci-fi Keanu, so you know, pretty decent track record. Actually, maybe not decent track record there with, you know, the day the Earth stood still. And... It can't be worse than this. It oh, literally boy. cannot be. No, it can't. I know, I know that. So we're, it's all uphill from here, Chris. So he'll be back either later this year or maybe early next year whenever Replicas is available. But thank you for joining us. Go listen to his podcast now and again. This episode's out June 23rd. What now is this month? What now is June? Uh, nine. I believe. Sorry, my brain is completely broken by this movie. Uh, I believe that is now volume nine. We are at the end of the boy band era, so you should be hearing. Uh, if you tune in June and July, uh, you will hear the death rattles of the Insinks and Backstreet Boys as we move on to a wow. new chapter in pop. That music. did not take no, long. They burned pretty brightly. Supernovas, these bands. So go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. Check out everything we're posting. This podcast, all of our podcasts, including now and again, are available on Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, all those places, and also all at cageclub.me. So go listen to it. Now and again, I genuinely love, Aww. especially when Nico is on. So go listen to those. The rest of them can go screw, especially the episode that I was on. But, you know, whatever. Go listen to now and again. Go listen to our other shows. All sorts of fun, free things at cageclub.me. Facebook.com slash Cage Club at Cage Club Pod on Twitter. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Chris Mattiello, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Pizza!